Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. Why, hello and welcome to the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is episode 215 and the third episode of September 2017 and our Daikaiju discussion for The Last Dinosaur. We are going to have a very full house in studio tonight. So many discussion ears that we actually had to kick it old school, where instead of recording here at the normal recording setup, I just had to get everybody kind of sitting round table style right in front of the movie screen. Anyway, uh, that's going to be awesome. I hope you enjoy that conversation. We did get some homework sent in by people. At first, I thought we weren't going to have a lot of news to cover, but we have quite a lot of things to talk about, including catastrophic events and, of course, some music. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to stay on theme tonight and kick things off with Escape from the Dinosaur by Akira Ifukube from Terror of Mechagodzilla. Once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussion. Every month, the Kaiju cast takes a look at one particular film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. As we rapidly approach the end of the discussion list, we turn our ever-staring gaze to another co-production between Subaraya and Rankin-Bass. And we'll be looking, of course, for a quality film here, people. Now, this co-production was originally released on television in America on ABC, but shortly afterwards was released in Japan as a theatrical feature. This film stars American actors Richard Boone, Joan Van Ark, and Stephen Keats, and Luther Rackley Jr., who was a retired American basketball player by the time this movie came around. The only familiar face that I saw was Tetsu Nakamura, who played Dr. Kawamoto, who dies very early on in the movie. Spoiler alert. But... He was also in films like Latitude Zero, so this is not one of those movies where you're going to see a lot of familiar faces or even locales. This is an interesting film. Anyway, like I said earlier, we had a full house for the film, so let's listen to what I found is being called the trailer online, 
and dive right into the discussion. We've been using a manned laser drill. It's a model of one here. Polar bore. Polar bore five on a routine mission disappeared off the monitor. There were five men on that expedition. There was one survivor. The uh, heat outside was terrific, but in the distance we could see ice cliffs. Then I noticed something moving above the trees in the haze, an enormous animal. I shouted and I waved, but they didn't see it until it was too late, and then they were gone. They were eaten. By what, Mr. Thrust? As far as we know, it was Tyrannosaurus rex, the largest carnivore that ever lived. The king of the dinosaurs. to all of us that we were not going to harm the dinosaur. We were only supposed to take film and study it. This animal, this eight-ton animal, is a carnivore. It eats meat. Us. First, we get the dinosaur. Then we talk about leaving. All right, so we just got finished watching this masterpiece from 1977, The Last Dinosaur. And the first thing I wanted to do is introduce my co-hosts for the evening, starting with Rachel Cook. Hi there. And Gretchen Brooks. Hey. (laughs) Sane Donahue's here. Cheers. Clancy is also here. Hey, everybody. His last name is Peterson. I don't want anybody to think that he just goes by Clancy at all times. And then Jeff Dean. What up, kids? And Adam Alexander is back. Hello, everybody. From the Monster Project, if you did not remember that, listeners, because it's been a while since you've been here. Uh, anyway, so let's go ahead and get started. First up, who here had seen The Last Dinosaur before? And if you've seen it multiple times, I want to know how many. Rachel. I've not seen it. Never seen it. Dozens of times. Dozens of times. See, I knew I knew Sane had seen it before. Yeah, I had taped off of TBS as a nice, child nice. and watched it over and over again. All right, Clancy. Uh, this was the first time I have experienced this uh, quite interesting film. All right. And El Jefe, how about you? This is this was my third time. Okay, all right. Wait, 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 wait. How many times? So, like, third time seeing it, seeing it. Sane, I know, has seen it since he's been a kid. So, have you? did you see it when you were a kid, too? I saw it when it first aired in 1977. Okay. And then I watched it again, like, I think it was, like, 
they played it on cable when I lived in California, like early nineties, and I remember taping it and watching most of it. Okay. Second. Okay. <laughs> All right. And Adam, how about you? Had you seen this before? No, I've never seen it. And in fact, I was kind of curious uh, whether this was something that had aired on UHF or, you know, back in the day. Well, apparently TBS for yeah. sure. Um, but it was it was a co-production made by Subaraya in Japan and by Rankin Bass. And I guess it was initially made for television in uh, in the States and also in Japan. But there was also a theatrical release in Japan as well. I don't know about the America. I know it came out on one of the major networks in 77. Yeah, I was because say, that's I when I watched CBS it. Or one of them played yeah, it originally. Yeah, because that's the first time it, I saw it. I was eight. All right. 77. So, initial thoughts. Rachel, you'd never seen it before tonight. What are you thinking going into this and coming right out of it immediately? I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was a blast. I it was ridiculous. The human characters were totally absurd and just a great um, set of weirdos to make fun of. I don't know. I love a movie where you can at least laugh at the terrible yeah. acting. Yeah, and you yeah. know we did that here. Obviously, yeah, totally. you know, the best thing about watching these bad movies is to watch them with friends. So that's yeah. exactly what we did tonight. Definitely, Gretchen. So. Initial thoughts. Well, I think it probably set womankind back about <laughs> like ten or twenty years. I would be, I would actually be interested uh, to know in 1977 what other sort of women's lib was was in, you know influencing film at the time. I don't know about that. She tried to say this moment of like, I'm, I'm a, I know women's place. What? <laughs> it's <laughs> the whole. Th- we kept saying multiple times, different time. It was a different time. Oh, yeah. Like, this would highly offend any third wave feminists at this point because it is a different era. A lot of mansplaining in this movie. So, saying you've seen this more than anybody else in the room, yeah. how did this hold up? Well, actually, when was the last time you watched this movie? Oh, probably late 90s. I think I rented for Movie Madness, late 90s. Uh, I, I really enjoy it. I mean, it's ridiculous. And again, but I like that era of film for like the land and people that time forgot Mm -hmm. and empire of the ants and that sort of thing. Cause you know, I saw it as a kid on WGN and things film or uh, TV stations like that. So I loved it. I mean, I remember watching these things over and over and over again as children, as a child. So initial thoughts coming out of this, Oh, I still, I still enjoy it. I mean, it's problematic. We'll put it that way. <laughs> okay. And some of it's uh, uh, the way some of the characters handle each other. <laughs> uh, but I still enjoy it. I still think it's fun. I mean, it, the uh, we mentioned during the uh, watching that uh, I don't think Toho put as much uh, effort into the suit construction that then they were normally oh yeah normally would they are a very very spongy yeah well actually so i was thinking this was like way after subaraya had died and so forth right so this was like you know would seven years after would it be way after seven he, years yeah did he, yeah, die, he in died in like 69 or 70 okay. yeah and so this was definitely his children taking over with the business i mean that they had been doing that for seven years so i'm i'm only trying to set the stage uh I would imagine that at some point after Subaraya died, Toho sort of distanced themselves from the actual Subaraya production company just because they're definitely... I mean, in the 70s, that's when Toho was really struggling for for movie stuff. So they definitely would not have had the same kind of budget that they would have given this at, at Toho, 
even 10 years earlier and again at Subaraya during the during the viewing I was like why didn't they just use the Gorosaur costume like it was <laughs> better constructed I'm sure it still existed probably I wonder what it looked like 10 years after though you know it's a good question it is foam rubber yeah anyway Clancy how about you initial thoughts coming out of this movie well I'd say uh my initial thoughts are that I, I definitely had a lot of fun watching this film. Um, and there are aspects that I could easily point to and say that I, I loved about the experience watching it for the first time and probably get into those a little later on maybe our favorite things or even least favorite things that still made it fun. Um, I do think it's probably a different experience for me personally, watching it as an adult, not seeing it as a kid. So I'm kind of just watching it through, eyes where I've seen so many other movies. Um, it wasn't something where I stood out and was like, I want to watch this again immediately or even show this to a bunch of people and you got to see it. Um, I think there are probably some listeners that I'd be interested in hearing their opinions, especially if they watched it back in the seventies. Um, Cause yeah, I think they probably enjoyed it more than I did, mm-hmm. um, but it was still a fun experience and you know, a worthwhile evening. So I'm curious, Jeff, uh, with saying basically, I'm assuming having the exact same re- you know, reaction to it today, how did you feel about this movie coming out of it tonight? I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I think this is the perfect definition of what they call a good, bad movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, especially watching it with a group of friends, it's highly entertaining. Um, you know, I saw this movie back when I was eight years old, and I remember I loved it. But back then, 1977, for our younger listeners, they're going to, you know, there was no such thing as a, as a VCR or on demand or anything. So, like, I remember I watched it, and then that's it. You just hoped you could right, see yeah, it yeah. again someday. But, um, I mean, it, 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 you know, it's ridiculous, but highly entertaining, I think. Right on. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's probably what most of these movies end up being, especially from this era, right? Ridiculous, yeah. but highly entertaining. Yeah. Well, I remember just like Sane said, I loved like, um, you know, uh, Land That Time Forgot and At the Earth's Core, which came out exactly the same time, which I remember seeing like Land That Time Forgot. I remember seeing on television At the Earth's Core came out like, I believe it was like 76 or 77. And I saw that at the theater. Is this like a collective Hollywood run of underground discovery movies like Land of the Lost? Is this when this was all happening? Did someone actually discover something like some old prehistoric cavern or something like that? I think it may have been that I want to say around 1970-ish, 75-ish. I want to say that either the Jules Verne or the H.G. Wells stuff became public domain. And I imagine it just was... Easy to do things like At the Earth's Core, which is a Jules Verne story. Oh, okay. And I was going to say, uh, Food of the Gods is H.J. Wells. Yeah. Um, yeah, Food of the Gods yeah. is like 76. That, yeah, then, exactly. So it may have just Empire of the Ants, Burt okay. I. Yeah. Gordon movies are all around that Definitely. same time. Yeah. And this is kind of like, it's funny because this is the exact same year that like Star Wars and Close Encounters came out. Well, and this was the second wave of uh, Monster Mania from the first wave being like 1961 through about 64. There was a second wave in about 1972 through 78 or so. Famous Monsters kind of had a resurgence and there was a lot of like package deals going to television for the old B-movies, Roger Corman's, APIs, things like that. So it could have just been very well been that like, hey, look, these old 
kind of B-movies from the 50s are getting exposure and being enjoyed again, let's just make some new ones that fit that mold. Because um, then you were getting things like uh, Crater Lake Monster and The Incredible Melting Man and Laser Blast and all these other things. Mm-hmm. They were kind of all like, uh, <laughs> yeah, they were all put together to be, I think, ride that wave of nostalgia from, because the 70s, we forget like, 20 years since the 50s, we had things like American Graffiti when Happy Days, which is technically a spinoff of American Graffiti. And people were just enjoying a renaissance of the 1950s again. Mm. So I think even that may have been partly uh, the catalyst for some of these monster movies coming out again because it's like, oh, the 50s, there was tons of B-movies being made. Let's recapture that spirit because people are enjoying it again. Interesting. Yeah, see, my monster movies didn't really start. I mean, obviously, I love the Godzilla films, but that's going back in time for me. Like, I did not watch those until I was a teenager and beyond. So stuff like The Last Dinosaur completely escaped me as a kid. So I never would have have watched this. And actually, I should probably say, because I didn't do my initial thoughts this is the first time I've ever actually seen the entire thing. I've tried to watch this movie like three times before and just it's never held my interest. It took other people being here for me to actually watch it. And, I, you know, my initial thoughts going, you know, I've seen it now. I guess what I would say is it's not something that I really enjoyed too much except for you guys being here. Like if you guys weren't here, I, I guarantee you I would have turned it off after 20 minutes and like, put on GMK or something like that. Um, but I didn't get Adam's initial thoughts from the from the movie. Uh, mine build largely off this discussion. I didn't see this as a kid, and I like yourself, but I'm actually a little surprised uh, by your you saying just there that you got into these Godzilla movies when you were a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up on them. My... Uh, years when I was like, I guess, six through 12 or well, maybe six through 10. I planned my weekends around Godzilla movies. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard so many people talk I about did the that. same thing. Yeah. So, so for me, um, when I watch my, my continued love of Godzilla movies is, uh, in large part, a nostalgic thing. When mm-hmm. I pop in Godzilla versus Gigan, I'm not like sitting down by myself, riveted by the human story and and uh, overlooking the plot details for the grandeur of the filmmaking experience. I'm I'm reliving that eight year old part of myself that that thought it was so plausible, um, and that the monsters through my eyes then were giant. It. I'm a little surprised and disappointed that I didn't see this movie as a kid because I'm sure I would have loved it. Um, I still do because whenever I watch these movies, I watch them as best as possible from the perspective of my eight-year-old self. Yeah, yeah. And to that extent, I thought this was a great monster. I didn't have any complaints about the costume. My eight-year-old self thought this was a great monster, that the uh, the acting was exuberant. Um, the special effects was pretty decent and, um, I, I definitely enjoyed it, but at the same time, would I have enjoyed it as much watching it as an adult for the first time by myself? No, this was definitely something best enjoyed in the company of other people. Without a doubt, without a doubt. So anyway, let's go into our normal spiel, uh, continuing with our normal spiel and Rachel, what was your favorite part about the last dinosaur? Mm, probably the 
I, I think the dinosaur himself was pretty adorable. Um, he was that was my first reaction when he popped up his face out. I was like, oh my gosh, he's cute. <laughs> but yeah, well, I, you could have gotten a double dose of him if yeah. he showed up for Attack of the Super Monsters. I know, I could have. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, he he's pretty cute. I'd say I go with he him being my favorite, and um, I. I liked the the little pteranodon guys too, but they didn't, you know, they didn't have a huge role in the film, and they were just so they are, slow, you know, real slowly slow, flying, kind of yes, bouncy almost, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I I dug the the feel of the overall movie too. Right on, yeah. yeah. I guess I should not be surprised that the what you thought was the best thing was the cutest <laughs> tyrannosaurus to ever stalk the earth. What about you, Gretchen? Favorite part of the last dinosaur. <laughs> um, I love the stealthiness of this dinosaur. He's like a ninja. He's gonna get you. <laughs> they don't know he's coming. There's no water in the glass bouncing. There is no trees falling. He's just he sneaks up on you. you turn around, and he's there. <laughs> <laughs> you better have a spear if you turn around and he's or there. a tent stake. Yeah, 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 something like that. <laughs> Anything sharp and pointy for the dinosaur. Uh, Sane, what about you? Favorite part? Since you you obviously have like the most nostalgic love for oh, this film. Yeah. So like I love what's it. your favorite I like, aspect of I, this? There's a bunch of it. And I didn't realize until just literally this very second, it's like, oh, this is basically a remake of The Land Unknown from nineteen fifty seven. It's almost the exact same idea. Okay. Uh and and again, uh Land That Time Forgot is virtually the same idea. It's still the Arctic. These all take place in the Arctic. Either a U-boat or a drilling machine or something else comes up yeah. through to find some ancient volcanic caldera that's full of prehistoric wildlife. Um, the difference here is that you have the amazing actor action of uh, or acting of Richard Boone, the voice of Smilg from the 1976 <laughs> Hobbit animated feature by Rankin Bass. And I like him. He's he's just such a hammy, mm-hmm. scene chewing actor. Like he's so great and ridiculous. And yeah. uh, and there's a part where he kisses the leading lady who is 30 years his junior. And as I I said, which managed to crack up the ladies, so is like it'd be like kissing a pile of uncooked pizza dough. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, that one that one as, resonated with the group here. As far as uh, favorite parts, I I I really like. Well, I'm not going to lie. It's the dinosaurs. I like all of them. Even the weird, like, rhino pig monster at the beginning that's not a dinosaur. Sure, yeah, yeah. That they inaccurately call a ceratopian dinosaur. <laughs> but the the two men in a horse costume triceratops and the the uh, marionetted pteranodons. And, and I just like them. It's just fun. It, it, uh, they're so spongy and terrible looking. It's like, it's so puts me back in a state of mind as being a child like i knew these were really fake but at least i was getting to see dinosaurs on screen and that's all that mattered kids are spoiled today got these super realistic jurassic world dinosaurs they didn't get puppet dinosaurs or or bad costume dinosaurs take that jurassic park yeah so so what about you glancy favorite part of Uh, this movie i was actually having a lot of fun with the soundtrack for this film um it seemed like it was uh, touching on every little exactly you know touching on every little bit of type of film that you kind of love um, everything from like the theme song that's a bit of a taste of James Bond with the last dinosaur where you're sitting there going sure, yes, yes. <laughs> is this last dinosaur the Tyrannosaurus Rex or this you know 
manly hunter out for his last uh, it was adventure. Missing the, the James Bond intro style, though. That would exactly, be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, but there was like a taste of Western movies, Italian Westerns, with which might have even been referencing to the lead actor who I think was in uh, Have Gun, Will Travel, the uh, old television program. Um, Italian horror. Uh, and Gretchen mentioned while we were watching it, and I was thinking the same thing. There were a lot of like notes of Scooby Doo, <laughs> old Scooby Doo cartoons. Um, but I, I just enjoyed it, and um, it, like I said, it was it felt like a best of. Um, and I I dig soundtracks, so I was paying a lot of attention to that while we were watching the film. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's my biggest takeaway. Soundtrack, from it. nice, very cool. So Jeff, did you did you also love the dinosaurs the best in this? I'm not gonna say the best. <laughs> All right, what was your favorite? I part? mean, Nancy Wilson's theme song, "The Last Dinosaur," is pretty epic. It's yeah, awesome. But then I also love Richard Boone, who's the lead. Okay, Mason Thirst in this movie, <laughs> and like thrust, thrust, <laughs> thirst, <laughs> thirst because my throat is dry. <laughs> Anybody have a drink of whiskey? <laughs> No. Adam's okay. got you Late. covered, dude. Oh yeah. Later. <laughs> Later. Well, no. I'll have yeah. So you like Thrust? I mean, I can see like Thrust, even yeah. as a despicable character, like he's still fun to watch. Well, he's like and the make Ab- fun of. Ahab type character. And the interesting thing is, you know, he he doesn't die at the end. So he yeah. he, he yeah. goes off with a. So what we should do uh, is throughout the course of the next set of Daikaiju discussions, anytime somebody comes around, a character comes around that one of us could easily cosplay as, because you could absolutely cosplay as Thrust. I'm going to do it. And it's going to be fantastic trying to explain it to people. Yeah, 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 for sure. But we should all do it. Mason Thrust from The Last Dinosaur. I've never heard of it. Nobody has. But it's great. But we could get. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Everything. You ding dong. Listen. (laughs) So I'll be the guy from uh, Skull Island, right? And you could be Thrust. And then we just have to figure out the cosplay for each person. You you were talking about I should do Fuji. You should do Fuji in her blazer for sure. Yeah. Oh, easily. This is a pretty sticky, slippery slope to go down right now. But I remember. Like as a kid, the most memorable scene in the movie is when the T Rex fights the Triceratops in the, you know, where all yeah, the bones yeah, yeah, yeah. are. The bones I just are. remember being very like affected by that and thinking like, oh my god, that was like so awesome. Of course, I was eight. It was still pretty cool though, awesome. seeing it when no, I was no, forty-eight. That, now, that was a really so. cool set. Yeah, that was so it, the yeah, coolest it was, set. In it, the it was movie. pretty cool. But like Clancy said. Richard Boone, he's star of Hap Gun Will Travel. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Western TV series. Ran for seven seasons on CBS. All I have right. a couple I have a couple seasons Jeff and if, if you want to borrow them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'll see. I Westerns aren't usually at the top of my list for, for catching up on old TV, but I'm not gonna say no, Jeff. However, uh Adam, what about you, man? What was your favorite part of this film? It's it's difficult to build on what everybody has already said. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know that I would have a, a favorite part because I pretty much loved equally both the monsters, which I thought were great, and Richard Boone, who, unlike in many Japanese kaiju movies where everybody is so stoic, he's bombastic to a literal fault. Um, 
And uh, and I thought the soundtrack also was excellent. I'm definitely going to go find that. So I will point out something else that I really appreciated that I don't know if it's my favorite, but something I just thought was really worth mentioning, um, which was the special effect of combining the human actors with the monsters, with the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. I, the compositing or the green screen yes, stuff? Yes, yeah. I thought that was especially good in this movie. Um, one thing I don't think anybody, I don't, uh, we didn't mention at the time was that uh, when, and I, I hope I'm not giving away spoilers here for anyone who hasn't watched it's it. It's been but, a long time. But the, uh, okay, yeah. the, the catapult um, mm-hmm. that is both built and then destroyed by the Tyrannosaurus Rex, that was pretty seamless. Um, so I I would just give a, a shout out to that um, that compositing special effects. Yeah, right a lot on. of the force perspectives were really good because they were shot in natural light, so that didn't look quite as heinous if you're getting a uh, bird's eye view of the Tyrannosaurus from like you know ankles up. We're actually not too bad because it was natural sky above him, yeah. so it just didn't seem to make it look as uh, shoddy as sometimes you'll yeah, get there, that shot. There was one scene where I want to say the heroine was running away from the T-Rex and like he sort of kept coming and, and you really got a sense. I know his scale changes throughout the movie, but you got a sense that he was very large because he just kind of kept coming. And as he kept coming, he got bigger and bigger, which is an obvious thing for filmmakers to do. But I felt like they really took the time to show that in at least in that scene. When he got stepped on, it was like the foot was gigantic. (laughs) (laughs) They had a lot of good, like, Shot from low, you know, yeah. angles up at the dinosaur for sure. Which is something that's really missing in a lot of the kaiju films. Mm. Once it gets to the seventies, they, they they shoot everything from eye level of them, and it just looks like very far away. Yes, yeah. I know. If I think if I saw this as a kid, I would have been really impressed by the special effects, and um, and then just kind of would have gone and played with my other toys while the love scene stuff was going on. <laughs> <laughs> Those love scenes were so realistic. Uh, my favorite aspect of this film is probably actually Richard Boone. I mean, I love a good, I guess I would say I love a bombastic or very charismatic, even though I don't really think that's the right word to use here for him, uh, white guy in these movies. Like Nick Adams is, you know, the be all end all white dude from these giant monster movies, in my opinion. So seeing Richard Boone be basically Richard Boone on set. Uh, it's uh, interesting, compelling. to say the least. What's that? Compelling. Compelling, like sure. Aspect, but without the, the, that kind of likability. Yeah, yes. He definitely did not have the likability, because I think that was one of the issues that I had trying to watch it by myself. I was like, God, I hate this guy. He is the worst. But being able to see it with a bunch of people and make fun of him really helps out <laughs> the whole... It's helped sweeten the sour, I guess, of, of Richard Boone. So now that you finished the movie, did is your opinion at all altered of his character and his performance? Well, he really redeemed himself at the end of the film, I thought, by uh, staying behind with Hazel. <laughs> no, no, he's still terrible. He's still terrible. <laughs> but uh, I will say that, you know, in terms of... Richard Boone in a tokusatsu film, as a, sorry, in terms of Richard Boone as a Caucasian actor in a tokusatsu film, the character that he plays, I'd say, is kind of like on par for uh, being a jerk as like Myron Healy's character from Varan the Unbelievable. It's just like, wow, 
this guy is not making us look good <laughs> like at all. <laughs> like, so uh, let's go ahead and move along to the negative stuff. Rachel, what didn't you like about the last dinosaur? Was it that it was the last dinosaur? Oh, yeah. Oh, don't remind me. Oh, no, <laughs> no I, I'm going to go with the, the portrayal of women. Um, <laughs> it was pretty bad that, oh, that just constant terrible berating yeah demeaning lines mansplaining and just oh it was pretty awful and of course the women are always the ones washing the dishes and making some sort of mystery green food and that was one of the funniest parts to me i was like (laughs) as she was like snapping those pieces off of that plant and like just putting it in the pan i was like this is right. ridiculous yeah it was it was pretty bad but yeah I, I would go with that okay so uh the treatment of women in this film gretchen how about you oh <laughs> that i mean obviously i said that earlier about about women about putting women back quite a bit but i i just like there's so many things that like were kind of ridiculous like um the the homo robustus <laughs> They're like their um, fear of the people that was kind of ridiculous. Um, let's see what else. Uh, you don't have to have a laundry list of things you didn't few. like, but I mean, <laughs> if you've got them at the ready. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I mean, we'll go with that. Sure. the The way the um, the the almost black face of the 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 Homo robustus terrifying, and poor Bantu, poor Bantu, no lines at all. Poor who? Bantu was. Oh, Bantu? was it? What was his name? Bantu? No, 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 wait. no. no. Bantu. Buntu. Buntu. Bunta. Is it Bunta? It's Bunta because I wanted to say it was Bunta, right, right, right. but it's Bunta. Is that gonna have to get bleeped? Okay. Bleep me. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> saying. How about you, dude? I wouldn't change one frame of this movie. I love that. This movie, guys, guys, this movie is perfect. (laughs) Everything on screen is perfect. There's not, no, I mean, it's, it's not a well-made movie. Mm. It's just fun and that's okay. Um, there's a lot of times when we do the suggestion portion of like, would you recommend this to people and not to cut ahead too too quickly but spoiler alert but honestly there almost needs to be two categories it's like yes on your own you're not going to enjoy this movie it's slow you gotta have somebody to point at things like why is his sunglasses too small you have to have other people to riff with right, to make yeah. these things enjoyable and then they're the best they are so much fun but yeah, on your own you're just no, you're, not gonna enjoy this very much absolutely right sir so uh clancy how about you man uh, well, first, I'm going to put a bit of a disclaimer on this one. Okay. Um, I have been enjoying beer today, so it might be a little <laughs> unfair to criticize the movie for how I am, but I, I think I might be safe on this one. So, again, I don't like to like, I don't mean this, this didn't ruin the movie for me. Okay. But there's definitely a lot of like inconsistencies with like the story arc and like how things are progressing through the film where all of a sudden you're like, why is this going on? Um, how come all of a sudden we're at this scene? 
so the pacing just, yeah it just jumps if you're gonna put a fine <laughs> needle like point on it the pacing it, it just jumps from scene to scene and i'm just like wait a minute or the right why exactly or is this ending. going on now like the glacier um, thing like when they were suddenly on the like in the cold glacier, yeah yeah, yeah. Like, why and it seems to me why that why not <laughs> <laughs> for like a basic monster movie though i yeah. mean sometimes it did seem to get a little more complicated than it needed to mm-hmm. again it didn't ruin the film for me or anything but i think to differ you know to separate it from something that i would consider a classic uh if the story would have just been a little more simple to me um cohesive i mean like i don't know that that's the right yeah i don't want it to it. be more simple um I think I get what you're saying, though, because yeah. it was sometimes confusing. Like, wait a minute, where are they? How long have they been here? Like, we were trying to figure out how long were they in, exactly. the, you know, in the trapped volcano area. And I think if they would have tightened up some of that stuff, mm-hmm. it would have made it more classic to me. But again, at the same time, it would have taken away from some of the fun, I'm sure. So again, negative, but at the same time, I mean... Silver lining that, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'd almost no. lean towards what yeah, Sane no. was saying, where it's just like, you go, eh, it's perfect. It, it did exactly what it does, and I was fine with that. So Okay. But yeah. Cool, cool. How about you, El Jefe? I mean, there's a lot of complaints you could, you know, throw at this film, but I, I agree with what Sane said. It's like, it's a fun movie. I mean, sure, the portrayal of, of women and minorities is pretty... Um, pretty poor but you know this is movie was made 40 years ago that's kind of what you saw in a lot of films right at that time especially you know films of this nature but uh i mean it's a lot of fun it is interesting that uh you know you have bunta and then dr uh whatever his name what was his name yeah yeah who didn't really have I mean, I don't think he had many lines in the film either. He had like the first scene. Well, he scene. died real soon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, that he was and Bunta fast. died pretty quick and all the white people made it out alive. Well, I guess we don't know about Richard Boone. Hopefully there's a last dinosaur too. By the way, it's Dr. Kawamoto. Kawamoto, yes, that's right. I imagine a scenario where they just like the Tyrannosaurus and him just like Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner just are constantly like he's making some new contraption to try and kill it and it doesn't work and yeah. he's just like I'm gonna go back to the drawing board <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah but yeah. yeah I mean I'm sure there's a lot of complaints you could throw at this film but like I said, it's like it's almost pointless. To, right. I mean, you, you I just mean, have to go way, with you it. You can't change it's it like, too much just by it's changing also like, one thing. You anyway. know, railing against the movie made in the 1940s. I mean, sure, there's a lot of complaints you could throw out, but you know, it's a product of its time and it's entertaining. I mean, Jeff, you're a product of your time. I am. I am a product of what? What is my? <laughs> what is my time exactly? You're it's timeless. my time now. You're too timeless, Jeff. I'm timeless. So I'm wondering uh, if there's anything Adam disliked about the film that maybe soared over anything else. I My main complaint about the movie is that I don't think it did a very good job of world building. Okay. <laughs> that, uh, and and I, I mean that in terms of they're obviously in a forest with some dry ice and there's apparently off in the distance a glacier, um, but they're in a primitive world where, okay, you see a couple of pteranodons and there's a really big turtle, 
but in general, <laughs> in general, the the the, vari- the the amount of prehistoric things that you see is very sparse, and you just don't get the feeling that you're in a forgotten, lost world from millions of years ago. You get the feeling that you're in Wyoming, and there are a few dinosaurs, and also you know a tribe of people that got there somehow, <laughs> somehow. in the last several million years. Um, but uh, when I think about now, a lot of the, the the Toho kaiju movies didn't have to do this. It was just the world you know, except there's dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. But but I feel like when they went to like Monster Island, even that that had a bit of mystique and world building to it. And I and uh, Land of the Lost, which I'm a huge fan of, um, mm-hmm. I always felt that that had. I don't know if it was just the the rapid nature of how often they were introducing something so foreign or the fact that it was a jungle or the fact that even everybody seemed perpetually concerned with where they were but in this film everybody just kind of took it as given that we're in a forest and about once every I guess week we'll run into a giant dinosaur (laughs) yeah I really want to know how long they were supposed to be there it it, it was long enough to rip their clothes fashionably it must have been five days, right? Because that's what Thrust says. Like after five days, was it five weeks? Five weeks, five months, five days. If only we knew. If yeah. only we knew. Let's watch it again. No, long enough for them to catch chickens. Oh, and, and by the way, though, as far as the feminism thing, I think uh, you've been misquoting a little bit. Um, uh, one thing I believe that she said was that. When uh, when she initially is rebuffed, our, our 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 fearless lead actress says that she had been accustomed to that kind of treatment uh, throughout her life, but then kind of knowingly said, "Oh, I know how to deal with this." At which point, then she seduced. Did him. exactly the opposite. Well, no, she seduced. She used her feminine wiles to seduce him, and then like lure him back, and then show but him the she? photos. And then, yes, yeah, she slept with him. Maybe, right. maybe I don't know, but <laughs> it's but 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 one could argue uh, from from like you know, depending how many waves of feminism you go through, that she's it's somewhat empowering. No, no. <laughs> well, men are men if are will vote no. Men, men are dumb, right? So it's like... Well, she was not helping that situation. <laughs> what we forget to look at is viewing these events through the eyes of the main character, the Richard Boone character, and he is an obsessed Ahab-like character. He's not going to let some frail or woman mm-hmm. disrupt his ability to hunt and kill that dinosaur. <laughs> Yeah, cause his, because his first girlfriend, he made her fly all the way over on the trip with her poodle and oh, then gave yeah. her silver a uh, gold bullet get your ass Real back nice. home, you know? Yeah, right. thanks for the gold bullet. He told her she could bite it. Bite it, bite yeah. the bullet. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of unusual that the movie ended without the death of either the hunter or the dinosaur. I don't know if it was leaving it open for the last dinosaur of the series. Uh, poor the, Haven. The, the really last dinosaur. Or Hazel. <laughs> The Hazel, lastest. yeah, Hazel. Uh. Because they were making that terrible joke. They were making that terrible joke about like Hazel being, sorry, um, Hazel being like this servant, and they were like some kind of joke about the the, the come the this far in time, and then there's um, they create the first man servant. Oh, it's just terrible. Yeah, that wasn't great. Oh. Yeah. 
You know, the funny thing is, there's really no male character in this movie at all that's really redeemable that you like, right? I don't really think there are any characters in this movie that I feel are redeemable. Well, it's funny because and that I Joan like. Van Ark's character, you know, the photographer is the one you can like, you know, she has a heart. She feels for the animals, feels for the people. It's not murder, this and that. Everybody else is just like the whiny... Um, Picket fence toothed like yeah, scientist. That guy's just like he, you know, he's just like it's weird because whoever wrote his character is like, you know, at one point he's, <laughs> I don't know his name, I just wanted to be Steve. <laughs> yeah, it's like I thought like for sure when watching this movie, you're like, that guy, he's gonna be one of the first to go. Because he's so damn annoying, right? Um But yeah, you just assume that Richard Boone's character would be, you know, he he's gonna die somehow at the end because of his you know, obsession with killing the dinosaurs. I think the Surprise, they didn't. They didn't yeah. because I almost guarantee, uh, again, The land, the Time for God had come out, I think, two years beforehand, and Troy McClure's character in that movie doesn't die, and they basically copied virtually the whole movie. So it's mm. probably because that movie did relatively well at the box office. They were like, can we just kind of copy this movie and put a little more emphasis on a single dinosaur since we're not going to see dozens of them? And uh, not so during, during World War One, but essentially it's the same story. And I'm sure it was like, well, one of the reasons maybe I doubt that there was that much marketing research, yeah, that, yeah, done I, for this film. But it probably more likely it's like, oh, they left Troy McClure alive. Let this other movie it led to a sequel. We'll leave Richard Boone oh, alive, yeah. and he'll maybe this will do well enough we make a sequel. Yeah, I was actually going to follow up and just say that I think that in general, most of these movies that we see coming out of the 70s from Japan, they just aren't going to have the same world building, the same amount of time put into them beforehand, pre-production and so forth. Uh, Well, let's go ahead and move along to our final thoughts. Rachel? It was great. I think that people should watch it with a group of friends. And it helps if alcohol's involved. And I think that, yeah, it's it's a fun one to just laugh about. But yeah, I wouldn't watch it by myself. All right. How about you, Gretchen? Agreed. This setting is perfect for it. It's very like mystery science theater kind of riffing. It's fantastic. It's a good film. Sane. I would watch this by myself. but Yeah, well, that that's not a surprise right now. Uh, <laughs> no, it's way more fun with a bunch of people. It's great. It's like... Go watch this tonight. I'm sure it's probably on YouTube. You can probably watch it. Oh, it might be on YouTube. Um, you can also buy it on DVD on demand. They burn it for you on demand. Yeah, from, exactly. Uh, oh, it's super yeah, fun. Warner's, I think. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's super fun. Like even if you, you like can't get to it for a few weeks, waiting for some <laughs> friends to come over and hang out, do it because it's pretty fantastic. There you go, Clancy. Uh, I enjoyed watching this film. And at one point, I leaned over to Jeff and said that Richard Boone, correct, that's his name, mm-hmm. his character was definitely coming off as the Joe Spinell of kaiju, kaiju movies. <laughs> um, for horror fa- or for non-horror fans, that's basically a bit of a <laughs> seedy actor, kind of a, I don't want to call him gross, because, I mean, it's Joe Spinell. He is kind of a beautiful man. Um, but you watch him in the film Maniac and go, how does Joe Spinell get Carolyn Monroe? And as I'm watching this film, I am wondering how any of the female characters in this movie have any <laughs> attraction, attraction to Richard Boone. To Richard Boone. It's really wealthy. But it's in there somewhere. He's and a killer. <laughs> even the Cro-Magnon, like she doesn't know about money. She just likes him. It's that raw 
animal magnetism. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Boone is the last dinosaur, and I want to know what happens after the credits. <laughs> Write some fan fiction on that. Start shipping. Yeah, I mean this. I mean it's it's a fun movie. I agree with what everybody else here said that, especially if you're a fan of '60s or '70s monster mm-hmm. movies. Um, get a bunch of friends together and watch this. I I have a hard time that you would not be entertained with this movie. If you're going to sit home alone and watch it drinking, you know, a chocolate milk, you're probably not going to like it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know... But if, add a little vodka to the chocolate milk. Is that what you're about to suggest? Kahlua, okay, Kahlua okay, not not vodka, but okay. But yeah, it, it, it's a fun movie. I think, especially if you grew up, you know, in the '60s or '70s, and you kind of grew up with these movies. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot to be entertained by this movie. It's it, it's just it's hard to hate a movie like this. I just think it's impossible. There's a level of charm in this movie that is, you know, somewhat misguided, but it's still there sure yeah i'll i'll take the level of charm and uh and accept that how about you adam final thoughts pretty much summing up what everybody else has said um without having that seen it as a kid without the youthful nostalgia i would not be watching this on my own Mm -hmm. but anytime anyone invites me to see it i would probably go watch it with them very cool uh so i guess i'm just gonna sort of echo the same thing like i as I said before, I tried to watch this several times by myself and just wasn't able to stay interested. So it really took a bunch of friends over here uh, getting some beers, getting some pizza and riffing on the movie the whole time. And um, on that alone, I would absolutely suggest it. Um, you could make a fantastic drinking game out of it. Not that I condone sure, yeah, yeah. to our younger listeners. Right, yeah, we haven't already done that. So. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, every time Richard Boone yells or sure. loses his oh, temper, wow. take a drink. Take a shot. Uh, anytime anybody manhandles Francesca or Frankie or however many seven different names she had. Right, doll. Take a drink. Or anytime Steve whines out another line. <laughs> take a drink. How about any time the Tyrannosaurus sneaks up on somebody, yes. take a drink. Without impact tremors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think uh, that's going to do it for us. Uh, thank you guys all for coming out and watching this movie. This is the largest group we've had to watch a film here in quite do, a while. Do you think Steven Spielberg stole from this movie for Jurassic Park with the this stealthy This was exactly Tyrannosaurus? like I mean, I'm Jurassic sure. Park. <laughs> I mean, that end sequence? <laughs> totally. T-Rex comes totally. out of nowhere in Jurassic Park. It's just like this movie. Just like it. Well, we did get some homework in from the listeners, so let's see how that went. Adam says that The Last Dinosaur, for all of its ridiculous dialogue and some occasional painful deliveries, actually offers some unique characters. Boone's character, awkwardly named Mastin Thrust, is the richest man in the world. His womanizing ways are brought to a halt when he meets Van Ark's character. Co-star Stephen Keats brings a third dimension to the relationship, bringing <laughs> bringing balance and a unique pull to Thrust, who knows he's far too old for Van Ark's character and accept that he's no longer the man he used to be. The script also doesn't take the easy way out. While yes, characters do make it back to the mainland after spending an absurd amount of time lost in this plateau, the somber and unexpected results are welcome. It works because of the character development, and while it may make the movie overlong, it adds to the impact. Sadly, the dinosaurs do not. The misleading title aside, all of the creatures are handled by Subaraya Studios. The main creature, a T-Rex, comes off as dopey. His oversized head is obviously a weight to bear for the suit actor, 
and the arms barely look attached as they flap around. The first introduction to the dinosaur set comes quickly, about 25 minutes in. Unfortunately, it's a static pteranodon that fails miserably. Other four-legged creatures are less obvious, certainly on par with the King Kong remake from the same year, which The Last Dinosaur is obviously capitalizing on. A decent battle between the T-Rex and the Triceratops is memorable and bloody. That's one of the few monster highlights, countered by miserable stuff such as an unidentified turtle. With its goofy 70s soundtrack, much of the movie does come off campy. The T-Rex theme is actually a solid piece, evoking the proper sense of dread, even if the suit itself can't. Encounters with cavemen feel unnecessary in terms of scripting and adds an extra character that never goes anywhere. A lot of dinosaur-obsessed kids from the 80s will remember this one, along with Legend of the Dinosaurs from the same year. Both were frequently played on cable, though The Last Dinosaur does hold up better. This is a unique, if heavily flawed, creature feature that is mostly worth it for the nostalgic value or those digging up everything giant monster-related from the Japanese. Mike Keller actually saw The Last Dinosaur when it first premiered on US TV. He was pretty impressed with it at the time, and he's caught repeats of it several times since then, but he's never had a copy in his ownership. For this viewing, he didn't really feel like dishing out the full price for a DVD, so he managed to score a cheap EP Speed VHS off eBay. Yay for 20th century technology! Needless to say, The Last Dinosaur does not blow Mike away as much as it did when he was 6 years old. He thinks that the dinosaurs and other prehistoric beasts look okay most of the time, really good sometimes, and terrible other times. One problem with the Tyrannosaurus is that oftentimes the actor inside has a posture that is too vertical. The same issue can be observed in the Rex from The Land Unknown, and for the same reason, by accurately portraying the dinosaur with the small front limbs, the actor is deprived the use of his actual arms, thereby greatly encumbering his balance. The actors all do a pretty good job, especially the visibly inebriated Richard Boone. Boone also did impressive work for Rankin Bass as the voice of Smaug, the dragon from the animated Hobbit film, which was also created in Japan. Mike is inclined to think that Boone did The Last Dinosaur and The Hobbit at the same time. Mike can see how Joan Van Ark was initially supposed to represent an emancipated 1970s woman's liver, but he thinks that was undermined by the fact that she used sex to influence thrust. Isn't it usually the other way around? Also, she ultimately turns into a weak link who fawns at the feet of the male characters and takes up traditional female roles. Kind of self-defeating. Mike also found Thrust reminding him of his own boss, who's a game hunter and who yells a lot. A lot. And yeah, he's really been yelling a lot lately. Sad face. Mike also notices logic problems that arise if you think about the film too hard. Why does the prehistoric valley only have one of everything? Meaning... Why is this dinosaur the last one? Why is the Triceratops buried in the mountainside? If food is scarce for Thrust's group, how the heck is the Rex finding enough game to sustain itself? Thrust says that the dinosaur won't leave them alone until he's eaten them all, yet the tribe of cave people seem to have survived alongside it for all of their lives. Anyway, Mike says the last dinosaur, much like its title character, is merely okay. Mr. Joe returns for another homework discussion. He had watched The Last Dinosaur one time back when the rental stores still had VHS tapes. He thought that he had found Willis O'Brien's The Lost World because the cover had O'Brien's Allosaurus and Brontosaurus fighting. He took it home only to be caught off guard by a completely different movie. Mr. Joe bought a DVD copy on eBay to revisit this piece. Upon revisiting, he had forgotten how dull the human scenes are, but exciting when the toku dinosaurs came on screen. Mr. Joe has a fond appreciation for this piece and its toku scenes. 
The only question Mr. Joe has is, why and how did the Triceratops get underground? He would love to check out the Japanese version, which is apparently longer than the American cut. And there you have it. Not too many people wanted to submit themselves to the fury, the passion, and the power of The Last Dinosaur. I think those were lyrics to a clutch song. Anyway, next month, October, our movie is going to be Deep Sea Monster Raiga. This is a movie by Shinpei Hayashiya. It came out in 2009. And unfortunately, it is not really available. This is one of those films that, if you can get it, it is technically available from Japan. Um, so I, I really don't expect everybody to submit their homework on it. But it is a comedy film, so we're going to be watching it with that caveat in mind. This is not something that we're going to really be comparing to the 1954 Godzilla. It's a completely different film, and it's made in a completely different time with a different tone than the normal kaiju fare, even the fun ones like Monster Zero. So it's going to be interesting to talk about that film. I really hope we get a good showing. Maybe not as many people as showed up this time because it got really hot up in here. But, um, I mean, seven bodies watching a movie on a projector and then talking about it, it could just only get hot and sticky from there. Right, folks? Anyway, with that, I think what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and move on to the news. This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. First up, and the most breaking of news that I could cover today, which is Tuesday, September 26th, there is a, quote, permanent Godzilla store opening up in Shinjuku starting October 30th, people. If you are going to Japan, if you're going to Tokyo, you need to check this out, I'm sure. It's almost certainly going to be a brick-and-mortar version of the web store, the Godzilla web store. So if you are familiar with that, it's a Japanese store. You can really only buy from it if you're from Japan, live in Japan, or have a hookup through Japan. But it's pretty exciting. I really want to link to a story that I found online, but they have incorrect information about the location of this store. So if I can find a story that has the correct location, I will definitely link to it in the show notes. If not, however, feel free to message me because I know where it is. Anyway, uh, we are going to move along. So if you heard me talk about the Godzilla Gudetama crossover that happened somewhat recently, I think it was during the promotion of Shin Godzilla, I'm guessing that was a smash hit because the same company that produces Gudetama and Hello Kitty and Batsmaru and a whole ton of characters, they are doing a Godzilla Monster Planet tie-in with their characters. So uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to a Tokusatsu Network story where you can see way more information about this marketing campaign. I can almost guarantee I'm going to have some sort of Hello Kitty Godzilla thing in this house. We got a really cool Sadako Hello Kitty for Lady Kyle when we were in Tokyo in 2013, and this can really only be cooler in my opinion. A little Pacific Rim Uprising news. Some posters were just shared by Legendary Pictures earlier today with the tagline Rise Up. Pretty cool looking images. I'm excited for the movie, but I want the hype train to sort of start building. I'm not sure exactly when the date is that it comes out, but uh, you, you know I'm going to be looking forward to it. Regardless, I'll have a link in the show notes to the Facebook post on Legendary's profile. Next up. Sci-Fi Japan has a lovely tribute to Haruo Nakajima. 
the original Godzilla suit actor who recently passed away. I will have a link in the show notes to that. Make sure to check it out if you want to see how touched people were by spending time with the very first Godzilla actor. Hey, let's go into some toy news. Uh, The biggest news that I can share is that Bandai, via Bandai Premium, their online web store, is going to be producing a Frankenstein figure. I guess I should actually say that as a Frankenstein. No, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. I don't know how to do it. They're going to be producing a Toho Frankenstein figure. Oh, my God. I'm super excited. I've already pre-ordered mine. Uh, August Ragoni has a great little article about this and how it came about, and it kind of hints that we might see more of these new awesome sculpts in the future. So I'll have a link in the show notes to his blog where you can check it out. Also, amucktime.com has posted a pre-order page for both the Toho Frankenstein and the War of the Gargantua's Gyra figure. That's the green Gargantua. So if you're really, really not sure how to buy any of that stuff and you just want an easy way to do it, I'll have links in the show notes to Amok Time for both of those figures. More toy news. SH Monster Arts is continuing to release a whole bunch of repainted figures, which I'm sure fans of SH Monster Arts are not getting sick of at all. That was sarcasm. Uh, They're bringing Space Godzilla and Little Godzilla to the repaint world. Apparently, these repaints are to match their colors a little bit better when they had their face off. And Space Godzilla comes with Little Godzilla, so that's a two-pack. I guess that's kind of cool. And then also, Space Godzilla's got these cool kind of green, crackly lightning attachments. If that's your bag, then it is priced at 14,904 yen, which is about 150 bucks. And the release date is set for February 2018. Pre-orders for that are already open. I'll have a link in the show notes to a Tokusatsu Network story about that figure set. Next up, also on Tokusatsu Network, they have information about the game City Shrouded in Shadow. Now, I've been sort of following the development of this game. I have never played a game like this. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with that name, This is essentially like a kaiju game, but you are playing a human trying to escape Tokyo. It does look really interesting. The updates recently have characters and costumes, new monsters, mechs, and aliens. There's an intro movie and a gameplay trailer. I definitely want to try it out, but I'm just super skeptical of its enjoyability, especially after playing that god-awful Godzilla game for the PlayStation 4. Anyway, the Japanese release date is set for October 19th. I highly doubt we're ever going to get a subtitled or translated version here in the States, but who knows? It'd be cool if we did. I do like the tagline, though. This is not the story of some hero. This is your story. And like I said, I'll have a link in the show notes to the Tokusatsu Network's coverage of that particular update. Next up, I am going to get a little nostalgic here. A couple of years ago, Hulu was an amazing resource for kaiju fans who subscribed to the service and didn't feel like getting up to go grab their DVDs off the shelf. You could just watch like a ton of Godzilla movies. They had Godzilla vs. The Thing, Terror of Mechagodzilla, Destroy All Monsters, Godzilla vs. Megalon, Godzilla vs. The Smog Monster, just a ton of stuff. It was really kind of cool. Then one day... All of it sort of went away. (laughs) And I was like literally about to write a big article about where you can stream stuff online. Unfortunately, because all that went away, the internet sort of became a dearth 
for kaiju films that were legally streaming, and it was really kind of a bummer, and it actually turned me off from writing that article, obviously. Um, and I'm not going to pick it up right now, but I will tell you that Hulu is adding Godzilla movies to their lineup starting in October. They're going to be adding entirely Heisei and Millennium films, and they're starting things off with Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, the 93 movie. They've got Godzilla vs. Mothra, Godzilla vs. Destroya, Godzilla vs. King Ghidra, Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla, Godzilla 2000, Godzilla X Megaguirus, Godzilla Mothra King Ghidra Giant Monsters All Out Attack, Godzilla Against Mechagodzilla, Godzilla Tokyo SOS, and Godzilla Final Wars. So that's pretty cool. Maybe you got sick of watching the old movies and you just want to watch something new. Anyway, the other thing I wanted to mention about this Hulu update is that Colossal the Anne Hathaway film, is also going to be put on Hulu. So if you didn't catch it in the limited theatrical run, you can definitely check it out on Hulu. This is not necessarily news, but it's a couple things I just wanted to share. First and foremost, my friend Jeremy Souls, who runs Summit Kaiju, he has actually launched his social media platform, which is Summit Kaiju. You can go check it out if you want. Um, I got an account on there. I need to be a little more active. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what Jeremy has in store for us in the future. Summit Kaiju is basically a place just for Kaiju fans to hang out. So I'll have a link in the show notes to the Summit Kaiju website, and I hope to see you on there. Last but not least, in terms of news, a friend of mine, Quinn Allen, is kickstarting a Godzilla-themed hip-hop album called Jira, The Little One. Check it out if you want to support some indie, nerdy, monster-sized hip-hop, because I'll have a link in the show notes, of course. We are going to move along to the catastrophic events. We are not only including celebrity appearances in this list now. I'm adding some appearances by Steve Rifle and Ed Gojicheski because they will be involved with some events to promote their upcoming new book, Ishiro Honda, A Life in Film from Godzilla to Kurosawa, which I pre-ordered and should be here on my birthday, which I'm very excited for. We'll start with October 5th. Steve Rifle will have a conversation with Alonso Duralde, the film reviews editor at The Wrap and co-host of the Linoleum Knife podcast. That's going to be at the last bookstore in Los Angeles, California. Uh, for each one of these, there will be a link in the show notes to a Facebook event, so you can check it out yourself if you're in the area. On the 13th of October, Ed Godicheski will be at Quimby's Bookstore in Chicago's hip Wicker Park neighborhood. On the 14th, Steve Rifle will be at the Little Tokyo branch of the Los Angeles Public Library. And those are all to promote the book. There's going to be one or two more events coming up with that, too. But uh, we're going to move along from the Honda book stuff to a local Portland event that I would love to see people come out to. The Hollywood Theater is going to be showing quite on. And if you've never seen it, it is a super cool 1960s ghost story yokai story sort of anthology film and it's very well done it's very well received and it's very well respected it got a criterion release i own the damn thing on dvd and i bought the blu-ray with the extended footage so uh i'm looking forward to seeing it i hope to see any local kaiju fans and yokai fans come out to this like i said it is at the hollywood theater on october 19th let's talk about some celebrity appearances shall we on October 20th through the 22nd, Grand Rapids Comic Con is welcoming both Tom Kitagawa and Mizuho Yoshida to the convention. You can check out all the details of that at grcomiccon.com. On the 23rd of October, Steve Rifle will be introducing a double feature at New York City's Film Forum with Mothra and the H-Man as an homage to Ishiro Honda. I'll have a link in the show notes to the Facebook event for that one. 
And then on the 27th through the 29th of October, man, October, busy month in the States for Kaiju fans, not to mention it's going to be Halloween, right? Uh, anyway, Schiller Theater is happening in Parsippany, New Jersey. They're bringing Linda Miller from King Kong Escapes and the Green Slime, Linda Hayes from Latitude Zero, and Carl Craig from Destroy All Planets, a.k.a. Gamera vs. Veras. Like I said, that's happening the 27th through the 29th in Parsippany, New Jersey. And there will, of course, be a link in the show notes. Last but not least on the catastrophic events, G-Fest 25 in Chicago, which isn't until July of next year. They have announced the next guest. It's a big announcement for them. Megumi Odaka is going to be returning to G-Fest. And that comes in addition to their earlier confirmation that Akira Takarada has been added to the roster. Anyway, that is going to do it. If you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory, please, please point your web browsers to KaijuCast.com and see what we are all about. We have every episode we've ever done on the website in addition to the Daikaiju discussion schedule, reviews that we've done, plus there's links to our friends' websites, links to all of our social media accounts, etc. So hit up KaijuCast.com for all of that information. Also, if you want to send in your homework review for the 2009 Deep Sea Monster Raiga, then please do so via the form on the website. Now, I threatened to do this during the discussion, so I'm going to be closing out the show with the theme from The Last Dinosaur, as sung by Nancy Wilson, I'll see you next month. Jamata. Amen.